So, Mother's Day sermon ended, right? So I'm greeting people outside, and one of the members in this church, I won't mention a name, but got in his car and said, Keith, I expect a good Father's Day sermon. (laughs) So I had about maybe a little over a month to prepare. So I hope it's an encouraging one. I hope it's a blessing to men. And I just noticed I took my papers out and there was a communion cup up here. So there's a mess on my notes. But that's okay. That's okay. We'll go through it. It was not the important one, so here we go. Let's pray. Let's pray. Um, Remember, there's a few members that are... um, Fred's in in a nursing home now, so let's keep praying for Fred. Um, Let's pray for Virginia. Um, Let's pray for families around them to encourage them and other people that are sick um, in hospitals and nursing homes. Let's just pray for those people. Can you pray with me as we pray? Um, before we dive into the God's Word and see what God has for us today from it. So pray with me today. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity we come to gather together to worship you in song, around the table, in prayer, and through your Word. I pray that we would have open ears to listen to what you have for us today to grow in our faith, to share our faith, to live out our faith. I pray for those who are in nursing homes, and I pray for Fred, pray for Betty, and also Virginia, as just surround them with family that love them, surround them with encouragement, and help us to reach out to them and encourage them um, in the situations and that they're in, but also the just to encourage them in their faith. Because they have encouraged us with their faith. Help us to reach out to them at this time. Be with those who are sick, who are physically weak, who are lonely, who are battling certain things. I pray that this time would be a time that they could come and hear from you. May your Spirit guide us into truth. May your Spirit guide us into a lifestyle that's pleasing to the Lord pleasing to you. God, lead us into your righteousness today and make your path straight for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this week, as I was preparing this message from Jude, and we're talking about false teachers and we're talking about the different lies that are twisted, the truth that's twisted into a lie. That sounds like a truth, but it's not. And as I was preparing, we'll get to some encouraging messages at the end. But sometimes a verse, there's some hard things to talk about. And this verse is one of them. And we're going to look at Jude. If you turn to Jude chapter 11, or verse 11, we're going to be, that's the verse we're going to camp in. But I want you to remember what our theme is. We have been given the responsibility to defend God's truth, the truth that we have. And pass it on to others. Are we doing that? It's our responsibility to do that as believers. To pass it on. And then our walk through. Remember, dear friends, those who have been called, loved in God, and kept for Jesus Christ. Contend for the faith. You might have to struggle. You might have to fight. Compete for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. 
And what are we waiting for? The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us to eternal life. Are you waiting for that day? Do you want that day to come? I know a few people right now want that day to come sooner than later. But do we actually wait for that mercy? Because that's going to be a glorious day for some of us. And if, if, we're, if you've been with us in Jude, some people are not going to experience eternal life. Some people are going to experience eternal punishment, which we've learned that. So we come to Jude 11, and you see the title there, Men, what makes you tick? What makes you go? Okay? Before we get there, as I was studying this verse in Jude, it's, we're going to get to the verse and read it, but I, I want you to give you some background here, because false teaching is out there, and it's hard sometimes to combat the false teaching, isn't it? It's hard. Because it sounds good. It sounds good. It sounds true. But I want you to go with me through a little history here in my mind because I read a few articles, but then I saw this verse in my, an old journal. I picked up my old journal from last year, and this is a Bible reading that was this week. Jeremiah 23, verse, 30, or verse yes, 31 and 32. So this is before Christ. The prophets are in town. They're speaking God's truth. But the Lord declares this, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. Yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. So even in the prophets, they, there's false prophets going around trying to lead God's people astray. That's before Christ. Then you get after Christ. Christ resurrects and teachings. You go out and proclaim Jesus. This was an article in 1991, okay? Oh, sorry, got to go back to the 300s. Sorry. So we got before Christ. Picked up St. Augustine's book, Confessions, and he says this in the 300s. A certain bishop, Faustus by name, had lately arrived in Carthage. He was a lethal trap set by the devil. He sees false teaching out there in 300s. And then you get to, you bring it up to 1991, okay? I didn't go through all the years. 1991, this is what, there was a poll of 700 preachers. And this is what one of the preachers said. In our denomination, doesn't say the denomination. In our denomination, what you call the faith of our fathers is approaching total extinction. Of course, a few of the older ministers still cling to the Bible. But among the younger men, the real leaders of our denomination today, I do not know of a single one who believes in Christ. Wow. Or any of the things that you classify as fundamentals. And that's the one with the grape juice. So I'm going to put it over here. Not one of them believes in Jesus. Read another article coming up to 2016. This is written. And this is what this writer says. We must 
Preach the difficult truths as well as the joyful ones. Preach the cross and the new life. Preach hell and preach heaven. Preach damnation and preach salvation. Preach sin and preach grace. Preach wrath and preach love. Preach judgment and preach mercy. Preach obedience and preach forgiveness. Preach that God is love, but don't forget that God is just. It is the love of God that compels us to share of all His truth. He's writing to preachers that aren't preaching that stuff. And one of the questions he asks at the very end of, in the middle of his article, he says, how can we contend for the faith if we won't question lifestyles that oppose it? And then another article I read, I was in an article reading mood this week, same year, 2016, and this was actually a a journal about preaching through Jude, and he says this, there was a preacher on a talk show talking about certain issues of the day, and this is what the preacher, I quote him, says this, I think culture is already there and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. So he's basically, that preacher is saying, you can't go to the Bible to defend truth. These are preachers. And they're preaching not the Bible. And you saw it way back before Christ in the prophets. Jesus, God says, I don't like those false people who are teaching false dreams. They're leading people astray with their reckless lives. Then you get St. Augustine saying a lethal trap from the devil. Then you can probably go throughout history. There's false teachers everywhere. Are they going away? Everybody yell no. They'll never go away. Because they're, what, secretly creeping into churches, gatherings that follow Christ and want to stir up division, strife, conflict, just to get the church out of the way, right? Or the body of Christ out of the way. So that brings us to Jude 11. (laughs) And this is what the verse says. If you have it in front of you, this is what it says. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. And you're saying, how can you take that verse and encourage you with the title, men, what makes you tick? How can you go to that verse and tell me what what makes you tick? What makes you go? Other questions you might ask. What keeps you going? How do you live your life? Or where is your focus? So think about those questions as we go through this sermon because, yes, I'm going to talk about the verse, but at the end, there's going to be some encouragement for us men and hopefully all of us to take some nuggets and live our life out there for Christ. So three examples. This is from Hebrew Scripture. So he's going back to what the Jews And the Jewish Christians already know. They should know these stories, right? Now, I mentioned this when we started Jude. We did the walkthrough and I said, 
encourage you, read your Bibles. Because you go through Jude and you're like, okay, where does it talk about Sodom and Gomorrah? Where does it talk about delivered out of Egypt? Where does it talk about the angels? Where does it talk about uh, Cain and Balaam and Korah? Do you know? That's a simple question. You don't have to answer out loud because it's up to you. It's, it's between you and God. Do you know where these stories are found? Are we reading our Bibles? Do we read verse 11 of Jude and say, Way of Cain, well, I have never heard of Cain, so eh. go to it. Go to the stories. It's found in Genesis 4. We're not going to go to Genesis 4, but I'll tell you the quick story of it, okay? Cain and Abel, they're brothers. How many of you have a brother? Okay. Cain and Abel, they bring their sacrifices to God. Abel brings a firstborn of his flock. Brings it to the Lord. Cain brings crops, his fruits that he's labored over. So they both bring this sacrifice to God. And God accepts Abel's sacrifice and does not accept Esau's sacrifice. Huh? What? Thank you. Cain and Abel. See, that's why I have you all here. Um, doesn't accept. I'm just seeing if you're awake. I mentioned last week. I mentioned to someone this week, I saw somebody yawning last week, so I'm going to point you out this week. <laughs> hey, uh, what's laughter? Cheerful heart is the best medicine, so always laugh. Cain, he doesn't accept Cain's. And then you go to the story, Cain, you know, he's getting angry. God comes to him and says, hey, why are you angry, Cain? Why are you so downcast? And then the story follows, you know, God says, sin's crouching at the door, it's going to overtake you, it leads to death. Cain takes that, and what does he do? He goes to his brother Abel and murders him. All because his sacrifice was not accepted. And then I'm like, well, yeah, Genesis, there's more, there, there's more of Cain said about that chat that story in the new testament so you're like okay where is it else is in the new testament besides jude go to hebrews chapter 11 you can go there hebrews chapter 11 this is what it talks about the situation here this is the faith chapter but hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 through and 6 say this and i think it helped me a little bit because when i grew up and being taught the cain and abel story it was like well cain just brought Crops. You can't bring crops. Okay? I just thought that. But look what this says in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. And verse 6, And without faith... It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Let me tell you, when I grew up, I was never brought to this verse as you went to Genesis. What did Abel have? Faith. What did Cain not have? Faith. I never was taught that. Seriously. And this week I said, that is Interesting, because faith. And my wife pointed out also this week, he's like, she's like, God would have forgiven Cain if he would have asked, right? And I said, 
Yes, he would have. Because God is a merciful, forgiving God. But what did Cain do? Didn't accept it. He was angry and led to murder. And so by faith. I love that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, and then you go to 1 John. There's more to it in 1 John here. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, it says this. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. His deeds were evil. He didn't have faith. He was angry. And what did it lead it to? Murder. His deeds were evil. If he would have had faith it probably would have led to a not murder, right? And then I had to look up the word faith, okay? Because you know I like definitions. From the Vines Concise Dictionary of the Bible, this is what it says from the Greek word, the elements of faith. Here's what they are. A firm conviction producing a full acknowledgement of God's revelation or truth. Number two, a personal surrender to God. And three, a conduct inspired by such surrender. So you acknowledge who God is, and then you surrender your life to God, and then that surrender should make your life godly. And then from Miriam Webster it says, Belief and trust in a belief and trust in and loyalty to God. faith so the way of Cain we'll get to it later but it's about faith do we have faith and are we acting out our faith remember from our James study what should our faith do our faith should determine our actions and attitudes And then you get to the second illustration. And I'm falling behind, see? The heir of Balaam. Where's that found? (laughs) Numbers, chapter 22 to 24. Balaam's supposed, you know, Balak talks to Balaam and says, can you bring a curse on the people? So Balaam reluctantly goes. And who stops him? The donkey. Okay, donkey's trying to stop him and he keeps going three times and the donkey's finally just stops and there's an angel of the Lord there. But Balaam is all about what can I get from it? The prophet, what can I get from it? If I do this, I'm going to get something. So you have to go again to the New Testament. Second Peter, remember Second Peter and Jude are kind of written at the same time. And they talk about the same things. And Peter writes this about the Balaam story. Second Peter 2, 15-16, it says, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. 
But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So these people have left the straight way and want the prophet that comes from their work. All they do is want the wages. But what is the wages of wickedness? There's no good thing coming from it. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, talks about a church. Revelation 2, 14, talks about the church in Pergamum. It says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. So the teaching of Balaam led people astray. He enticed the Israelites to sin. That's what they were enticing the Israelites to sin. So he kind of, his teachings leading them to sin. It's not a good teaching. And then, I wanted to bring it to myself, and if you're a father in the room, I brought it to this, okay? Colossians. Because it happens. Probably more than we think, and it happens. We're, we're fallen, sinful people. It's going to happen. It's probably happened in your own life, if you're a father. Colossians 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but erethizo is the Greek word for embitter. It means to stimulate, especially to anger. In one English translation of the Bible, it uses the word nag, N-A-G, which means to irritate by constant scolding or urging. Fathers, do not embitter, do not nag, do not stimulate, especially to anger your children, or they will become discouraged. I was thinking at my desk as I'm preparing, and I'm like, I've done that before. It's horrible. You're just nagging your children and all of a sudden your child sins and it's because of you. Do not embitter your children. Some translations say parents, so both parents. But fathers, when we get around our kids, do we encourage them? Or do we always constantly point out the wrong? So don't stimulate to anger. Don't nag them about the wrong that they're doing. Encourage them. And then we talked about Romans chapter 14 in Bible study a little bit. And this brings you to the church, the body of Christ. You got the weak and the strong. And what does it talk about in Romans 14? It says, Make every effort, in verse 19, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And later on it says, 
So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat it. So he's talking about if you're causing your brother or sister to stumble. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever caused your brother or sister in Christ to stumble? You know that they can't do something or you can't go somewhere because that's their conviction and you take them there anyway or you do something around them that they don't like, that they don't do, and you cause them to stumble. I think this is what we can gain from the Balaam error because we don't want the profit. We don't want to gain everything for ourselves. We want to help each other out. We don't want to lead people to sin. And then you get the third one, the rebellion of Korah. That's found in, anybody shouted out, anybody know where it's found? Numbers 16, okay? And you know what, if you've read the story, they rebel against Moses and Aaron as leaders of that, the Israelites. They go against them, and what happens to them? The earth swallows them up, somehow. The earth opens up and they're all dead. But they go against Moses and Aaron. And who put Moses and Aaron in charge? God. You're all, you all shouted it right. God put them there to lead the people. And these, they rebelled. And you know where that ended? Them. Death. So Jude brings these, these stories they know about to us. If we just read Jude for the first time ever, just think about it. If you just read Jude the first time ever, you're like, who's Cain? Who's Balaam? Who's Korah? Who are these people? I don't know. And then you need somebody to help you go to the back and find the story in the Old Testament and read them and see what happens. But if you just read Jude, you don't know it. It just says the way of Cain, they rushed for profit into Balaam's there and they've destroyed in Korah's rebellion. That's all you got. They knew these stories. And you can dive into more detail if we wanted to this morning, but we're not going to do that. But how can we take these? And one other important thing, I, just, I skipped over this for a reason. You have the way of Cain, the prophet into Balaam's Aaron Kohler's about. But what does Jude say at the very first? Woe to them. And last week we talked about those people, right? The ungodly, false teachers who are secretly creeping in and destroying communities. Woe to them. And remember, Jude. Who's Jude? The brother of Jesus. What does Jesus do in Matthew chapter 23? What does he do? He speaks seven woes against the religious leaders. Do you think Jude was there? I'd like to think so. And he's hearing his brother say, Woe to you! 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 I can't count. Woe to you! Woe to you! Woe to you! I think that was seven. To these religious leaders. 
woe to you. The Greek word for woe is ue. Everybody say that. The Thayer's Greek lexicon defines it as an interjection of grief or of denunciation. So Jesus basically publicly condemns these religious leaders. Publicly condemns them. The Merriam-Webster defines woe as ruinous trouble. Put that in there. Ruinous trouble to them. It's coming. Something terrible is coming. The God's Word translation says, how horrible it will be for them. Do you want somebody to come up to you and say, how horrible this is going to be for you? (laughs) Ruinous trouble is coming your way. Do you want to hear that? Jude is writing about false teachers and he says, Woe to them! How terrible it is for them! Ruinous troubles coming to them. And if you follow them, same's coming to you. And that's what Jesus said to the religious leaders. He was just speaking truth, right? A little bit of harsh love there. Matthew Henry said, In his commentary, he said, hypocrisy is to do the devil's work in God's uniform. What do they do? They secretly creep in. They slip in among us and lead people astray and divide, cause conflict. But they're disguised in God's uniform, right? They look good. They sound good but they're doing the devil's work in God's uniform. That's hypocrisy. Again, I looked in an old journal. It was about this time last year. And I wrote in my journal, because I read that Jeremiah passage, the, the, Jesus doesn't like false teachers. He doesn't want them. He's leading people astray. I wrote in my journal, I don't want to be one who speaks false teaching. I prayed that to God. And I read it this week. And I said, I don't remember writing that, but I did. When I become a minister, I don't want to be one that preaches false teaching. And if, you, if I say something crazy and you're like, come talk to me and let's talk it out. Okay? If I say something that I meant to say it one way and I didn't say it right, just come talk to me, please. Let's study together, grow together. But I wrote that in my journal. So where, how, do we do, how do we encourage people with the way of Cain, the Balaam's heir, and Korah's rebellion? Men, this is what should make you tick. It's Father's Day. It's all about men today for me to you. But I hope the principles are for everyone. But if you listen to these, I want you to listen. Men, this is what should make you tick. Number one. Be a man of faith. And may your faith determine your actions and attitudes. Be a man of faith. If you're out and about, how are your actions and your attitudes? Number two, be a man of encouragement. Encourage others to follow God's ways. Do you take your faith and you encourage others to follow God. 
Do you turn people to Jesus? Number three, be the man God called you to be. Well, what's that? I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what God wants me to do, but here's some suggestions. These are things you can start today. Submit to God's authority. Use the gifts God has given you to further the God's kingdom work. Here's an important one. Be a student of the Word. Be a man of prayer. Speak up for truth. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Be a man full of integrity. Those are ways you can start today. Choose one. Pick one. Work on it. Grow. Talked to one person this week and I told him, his man, so I said, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's going to get you through it. Just don't lose that focus. So what do you need to be doing? What has God called you to do? Take one of those. Use it. Be a man of faith. Encourage. And use your gift. Whatever that may be. Be a student of the Word. Tell somebody, hey, let's study together. Let's, let's do some study. Let's pray together. Do something. Be a man whose God called you to be. So I pray as we sing this last song, if you need to make a decision, especially the most important decision that Jesus is Lord and Savior, please make that today. Repent. Remember I said earlier, we're all sinful. We're broken people. But Jesus and Jody hit it on the head. He came. He died for us. A brutal death. But did He stay dead? Did He stay dead? He rose again. And that's what baptism is about. We are dead to our sin. We're risen to a new life. And how do we live that new life? In Christ, with faith, encouragement, Be the man God called you to be. Be the woman God called you to be. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for today. I pray that your word is powerful and I pray that we will take it, apply it to our lives, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith because Jesus came and died for sinners. I pray that we would keep that in our mind as we live our daily lives of faith, of encouragement, and being who you want us to be, who you called us to be. Thank you for the letter from Jude. He was a brother of Jesus, but the most important thing to him was seeing people come to know his brother as Savior, just like he did. So I pray as we sing this last song, if we or anybody needs to make a decision that they'd come and make that today. Knowing that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you want us to live for you. So help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.